Recording in progress. Good evening. I'd like to call to order the Shoreline City Council regular meeting for Monday, February 5th, 2024. Will you please join me in the flag salute? Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Yes. Mayor Roberts. Here. Deputy Mayor Mork. Present. Councilmember Ramsdell. Present. Councilmember Robertson. Councilmember Adamasu. Present. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Scully. Present. Thank you. Um, I believe that Councilmember Robertson is not here, so would someone like to make a motion? Councilmember Scully. I move to excuse Councilmember Robertson for personal reasons. Second. There's a motion and a second to excuse Councilmember Robertson for personal reasons. Any objection? Without objection, she's excused. And this brings us uh, to item two. On behalf of the Shoreline City Council, I would like to proclaim the month of February as Black History Month in the city of Shoreline and encourage all residents to learn more about the history, contributions, and achievements of black people past and present. The next is approval of the agenda. The next item is approval of the agenda. If there are no objections or comments, the agenda is adopted by unanimous consent. And this brings us to the report of the city manager, uh, Mr. Ellington. Good evening, council. Everyone who lives or work in Shoreline is invited to join us for City Learn, our monthly series of community meetings to learn about and discuss timely city issues. On Wednesday, join us and the city's budget and tax manager online via Zoom for a session on demystifying the city's budget. By law, the city is required to balance the budget. What decisions need to be made to ensure we pass a balanced budget every biennium? Find out in this session. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash city learn for information. The city is offering its popular citywide project again. This year, this series of eight online sessions will provide participants an overview of city government and operations. It's free of charge and open to residents, employees, business owners, and students in Shoreline age 16 and older. You can get more information about CityWise and find the online application at shorelinewa.gov forward slash CityWise. And our home improvement workshop are also back this year. Join us at City Hall for our spring home improvement workshop on March 26th, April 23rd, and May 21st. Each workshop will be from 6 to 8 p.m. Reserve an appointment with a technical reviewer to help with questions regarding your home, property, land uses, and streets, along with city requirements and permit information. To schedule an appointment, please visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash home improvement. We're also hosting a vendor fair on each date. On April 23rd, we will have a presentation on middle housing, and on May 21st, we will have a presentation on decks. No appointments are needed for either of these opportunities. 
And finally, on February 7th and 8th, some of you will be in Olympia as part of Association of Washington City's City Action Days Conference. Held annually during the legislative session, City Action Days is AWC's legislative conference to educate statewide decision makers about city priorities and to push the city's agenda forward. As part of your time in Olympia, there will be a special council meeting at Anthony's home port in Olympia to discuss Shoreline's legislative priorities. Visit the city's web calendar at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar for meeting agendas and information on how to participate in all public meetings. And that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you. Now, are there any council reports this evening? Any council reports? Deputy Mayor Mark. Thank you, Mayor. I attended the Edwin Pratt presentation at Shoreline Community College. Uh, I thought it was very interesting, and I would like to note how proud I was with the mayor's speech that he gave at that event. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I was impressed by the turnout at the Edwin Pratt event. It was, I think, quadruple what it was the year before, so very good turnout, and thanks to Shoreline Community College and the Shoreline Police for putting this together. Uh, so seeing no other council reports, this brings us to public comment. Next on the agenda is public comment. This is the portion of the meeting where members of the public may address the city council on agenda items or any other matter pertaining to city business for three minutes or less, depending on the number of people wishing to speak. The total, pub, pub, the total public comment period may, will be no more than 30 minutes. If more than 10 people are signed up to speak, each speaker will be allocated two minutes. And Ms. Hardy, how many individuals have signed up to speak? I have one speaker online signed up. One speaker signed up. Okay, everyone's going to have three minutes. So right. if you'd like to call the person signed up online. I will. Um, our first speaker is Derek Blackwell. Welcome. Hello, this is Derek Blackwell. Uh, I live nearby the Madeira Project on Linden Avenue. Um, as you heard last week, my neighbor Courtney Ewing put it, no one gains anything by saying, I told you so, after an accident. Uh, but what are what other choice <clears throat> are we left with when there are accidents, close calls and safety issues adjacent to Madeira or on the corner of Linden Avenue and 179th, you will be hearing from us. I, for one, will be calling on the city to press the owners of Madeira for a retrofit of the southern driveway to allow for garage access <clears throat> instead of putting all the garage congestion at the north end directly adjacent to the corner of 179th just a few feet away from the school bus stop and Ronald Commons. It would be hugely expensive and disruptive to build rampways to two garage lower levels once the building is complete and occupied. It would be far cheaper and smarter to make these changes now. That's why I'm persisting. Now or later, you will be told it's too late. Although driving by the southern end of the project, it still looks quite possible to me. There's no front wall here yet. This is only two blocks from where you're sitting. If you drive up Linden sometime, you'll see the obvious problem. Cars at peak hours having to travel the entire tenth of a mile to the north end of this huge building, right next to Friends Church, to get into the garage, Getting caught behind double parked delivery vehicles, endangering in dangerous maneuvers on a narrow street, drivers heading for Brea just north of here also. 
uh, a lot of the traffic could be siphoned off if the garage were accessible from the southern driveway. Actually, maybe it wouldn't be so unreasonable to ask for a retrofit once the building is occupied. Gosh, I wonder which end of Madeira people will want to live in. Does driving a tenth of a mile underground to get in and out sound appealing to you? Maybe the south end of Madeira will be unoccupied. Still, it would cost a lot less and be safer to do it now. Neighborhood residents are calling on you, the city council, to take action on this dangerous situation. We're out of options. Again, there were many public comments on this issue specifically among the many complaints about gargantuan Madeira. Uh, you received a series of emails starting September 8th, many of these in the same thread, subject line Linden Construction Traffic Hazards, if you wish to review these. Kate Lee's very thorough and perfunctory reply on September 12th ended the discussion, except for me. But believe me, the talk among neighbors is not over and is not happy. Kate outlined all the procedural reasons it's too late. And oh yes, the school bus stop can be moved. Where are they going to move it, Kate? The quarter mile stretch will be taken up between the start of Madeira and the end of Brea. There's not a lot of other choices in between. The back drop off area for Deseret Industries? for people scavenge for donations. Thank you for hearing. Thank you. Uh, if there's, is there anyone in the audience like to address the council at this time? Seeing none, we will move on. The next item is approval of the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second that. There is a motion and a second to approve the consent calendar. Will the clerk please call the roll? Yes. Deputy Mayor Mork? Aye. Mayor Roberts? Aye. Councilmember Adamasu? Aye. Councilmember Povey? Aye. Councilmember Scully? Aye. And Councilmember Ramsdell? Aye. That motion passes six to zero. The next item on the agenda is a study session on federal legislative priorities. Jim Hammond is presenting the item tonight with uh, Jake Johnson. Welcome. Good evening, Council. Uh, my name is James Hammond. I am uh, Intergovernmental Relations Manager for the City of Shoreline, and I am joined tonight by our federal consultant, uh, Jake Johnston. Jake, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Council. Thank you, Mayor. Excuse Deputy me. Mayor, it's good to be here. Would you mind speaking directly into the mic a little bit louder? Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Deputy Mayor, Council, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, my name is Jake Johnston. I am uh, with the Johnston Group, the city's federal lobbyist, and I've had the pleasure of working with the city uh, since 2009 in a variety of capacities. Thanks, Jake. So we'll go on here to a brief presentation, if I can figure out how to advance this. There we go. So uh, we are here tonight to discuss the federal legislative agenda. For anyone who may wonder why we do this, the role of a legislative agenda is essentially to create um, a, a, a sort of guardrails around the activity that staff and elected officials would, would, uh, would execute in, in the federal arena. So it, it, it can be a very dynamic and changing environment. New uh, opportunities can arise at a moment's notice and we want to be able to respond to them and, and, and with some confidence that we know that as staff we are operating uh, with reflection to the will of council as the policy making body for the city 
your leadership and direction is essential to our success. Um, it can also kind of signal for other stakeholders or other partners, other jurisdictions, sort of where we're coming from, what our values are, and that can facilitate sort of partnership building. And then ideally, they eliminate ambiguity and provide clarity as we enter into some of these conversations and relationships. Anything you'd add, Jake? Just that your delegation is always interested in the city's legislative agenda. We've already been asked for it by Congresswoman Jayapal. Uh, she takes kind of the council passage of these agendas very seriously and uses it also as part of her outreach to cities in the North End. Yeah, we are, and we are blessed with a great delegation. I, I will say both uh, Representative Jayapal and then our senators as well. We have just uh, an incredible asset that, uh, that we benefit from here in Washington State. So uh, legislative priorities, uh, many years, for those of you who've been on council uh, for some time, tend to have uh, money items attached to them. We, for many years, were pursuing a raise grant, or we might be pursuing a federal earmark. And you will notice uh, their absence this year. Um, we, we had an incredible 2023. We were awarded a $20 million raise grant. We, uh, Representative Jayapal, also saw to it that we, uh, we received $4 million in essentially a federal earmark for the 148th uh, pedestrian bridge. We uh, established a partnership with Lake, um, Lake Forest Park through a Corps of Engineers program to work on Ballinger Creek. Uh, so we, we've got, we've have some great things and now it really is uh, about delivering those projects here in Shoreline. I mean, it's, it's now, showing that we can make good on the promises we made to receive the support from the feds. And so it's delivering Shoreline and thank in DC. And that is in many respects, sort of the gist of our, our federal priorities here. Anything? Just that, uh, always careful with my words in a public meeting, but also the city's benefited or the city's uh, played this game before. I think after we built the funding package for SR99, the city really celebrated with the delegation on the success of that really complex set of partnerships that came together. And in doing so, set the foundation for the incredible amount of integrated projects that are going on to make the light rail station at 148th succeed with all of these different complicated projects. And I think once again, we're gonna deliver these projects, cement our reputation, and that's gonna lay the groundwork for the next set of activities that we wanna go after, um, perhaps as early as next year. And laying the groundwork is a perfect phrase for it. So just some of the things we're looking ahead, and as we engage with our federal representation, we'll be starting to set the table for infrastructure and climate opportunities that already exist and are coming through uh, the federal government through the bi uh, bipartisan infrastructure law or the Inflation Reduction Act. Year after year, more monies become available. They can tweak those programs on an annual basis based on feedback from folks in the communities they serve and we are engaged. We, we let our legislators know how this is going for Shoreline, what works, what doesn't. Um, and then specific programs uh, along, you know, furthering the Ballinger Creek project, or looking at future areas of investment as we start to nail down the area around the 148th light uh, rail station, such as the trail along the rail, the 175th corridor, or the station area around uh, Shoreline North 185th station as well. 
So, you know, looking ahead, we also have uh, the next transportation authorizing bill. Now, that's 2026, which may sound like um, it's a ways away, but in federal terms, that's right around the corner. Uh, Jake, do you want to just give a sort of a heads up on that? Yeah. So. Um the federal transportation bill is uh, Congress many, many years ago, decades ago at this point, took transportation spending off budget. So there are the transportation appropriations bills, which come up on an annualized basis, and they're able to direct some of the money out to different programs uh, that exist at the, at the state level. But the transportation authorization bill is what you do with the federal gas tax revenues. And it's where we do large-scale authorization for big projects. It's where we uh, create the legal authority for programs like the RAISE grant program, and we make changes and reforms to those at the time. The RAISE grant program right now is authorized for a five-year period with historic levels of funding, thanks to the, uh, the, in the, uh, uh, the Infrastructure Act that was passed, as well as the reauthorization of the last transportation bill. So as we're looking at changes that work better for the city of Shoreline in the next transportation bill, starting that process now of trying to make those policy changes is critically important. And I guess the only other place of relevance is uh, right now we have a member of Congress from Washington State who is the top-ranked Democrat on that committee, and that's Rick Larson. So Rick Larson will either be the ranking member or the chair of that committee, depending on which party has control of Congress uh, the next time this bill is written. So we really do have an opportunity to make the changes we want to see in this world. Yeah, and that's, that's where Shoreline's reputation uh, really pays dividends that even though uh, Representative Larson doesn't represent Shoreline, he's a neighbor and he knows us and we know him and, and that's a partnership that, that does pay dividends. So you are familiar, for instance, with a, a medium city set aside. You've probably heard us talk about that over the years. And that is something that for many years we have said, you know, when you're a smaller city, you just can't compete with the Philadelphias of the world. Uh, it doesn't work. And we have this raise grant in large part because in the raise program, they created a separate pot of money for cities at 200,000 in population and smaller so that we weren't competing against the Philadelphia's. It leveled the playing field to a significant degree, and our success in the RAISE program uh, followed shortly thereafter. So it really has been an advocacy that has worked for us and has paid dividends, and that is a, a set-aside that's unique to RAISE right now, but it doesn't need to be. And we're one city uh, uh, out of thousands in this country but we are making our voice heard. We are building common cause with other similarly sized cities. And members of Congress are hearing that this is something that will work for the millions of Americans who live in these smaller towns. And, and, and so we are making common cause really with uh, others. And given our reputation and our relationship with our delegation, we're able to have an effective voice with the people who represent us. So, Finally, we, we have sort of ongoing support for legislative priorities. And, th and this is, as, as much as anything, a statement of values for the city. It has been shaped and, and sort of persevered over time because the values of this council have persevered over time. And it's meant to really be reflective of Shoreline as a city, what is our policy, and you as the policy body, it is your expression really of that sense of who we are. Um, run through this very quickly and just sort of uh, give you a little bit of a sort of summary statement if I were to wrap this up. You know, really, we, we come down to three things. It's building relationships, 
it's building credibility and it's delivering on our promises. And that's what we try to do day in, day out as staff and, and try to align our federal priorities with that commitment. And so, as you can see on this slide and the next, it's we, we are stating our, our, the need for climate change measures and, and dialing that up, uh, making sure we're maintaining access for health to health insurance, child care and support for families, tax code changes that benefit uh, families and small businesses, salmon recovery, watershed uh, restoration, water quality, uh, more infrastructure, increased formula funding for cities, and, and generally uh, policies that support safe, healthy, inviting and equitable communities, whether it's uh, LGBTQ or gun uh, regulation that's sensible and, and safety oriented. These are the kinds of things that we are able to share with our delegation and let, let uh, folks know that this is where Shawline comes from. So with that, we'll conclude the presentation. I'm gonna let Jake take us home. If there's anything more to share with the council, otherwise we'll turn it over for questions. Wow, Jim said it all. Uh, I guess the only thing I would add is, I hope as a city and as the elected representatives of the city, um, take a moment and, and celebrate the achievement in 23. I would uh, invite you during the AWC meetings when you're down in Olympia, talking to all of your colleagues and your peers, ask them how they did last year in 23 and, and if, they're, if they're landing their projects and if they're getting their work done. Uh, the city's reputation is frankly at a, at a peak right now. Delivering on this promise is our strategy for 24. And then, frankly, kicking the next one off uh, and, and continuing to do this work and repeating the cycle. The city's done phenomenal work. The staff resources are incredible at the city. The, the unanimity of council support has been a non-zero factor in being successful. And the city's reputation speaks for itself. Thank you. Any questions? Any questions? Councilmember Scully. Well, thank you. I mean, being a non-zero factor is what I always strive for. Um, and if any of us says, aha, we got at the AWC, oops. Um, but I wanted to thank you for your work. I mean, I've worked with you personally, and I, I know the good work you do. And it's, it's do a lot to the two of you that we've accomplished these things. Two things on the legislative priorities that I would like to see, not, not changed, but emphasized. One is, last two years, when I've met with members of the federal delegation, I've pushed affordable housing hard. Talked about the bridge, which was well received, but when I mentioned affordable housing and how, in my view, for 30% AMI and below, we needed to fund it, we needed to find dollars to fund it, that was well received, including by Senator Murray. Obviously, Representative Jayapal was on before I opened my mouth, um, and Senator Cantwell's staff also seemed to be on board. I think there is a seismic shift there that we can help influence, and I don't want to see that dropped. And I didn't see that on the list at all. Everything on the list is important, but I want to make sure that two years of advocacy for that doesn't fall by the wayside and we continue to say, look, you know, we're going to need some help housing folks at the lower end of the income scale. We're not going to be able to do that with city money alone. The second thing is, you know, when I started on council, I didn't know what a medium-sized city set-aside was. At this point, I think it's possibly the most important thing we could accomplish in all of our careers ongoing and we really saw the benefits of that with a raise grant i would love to see us do a full court press make it a top priority to get that in every federal program because we can compete with raise we don't compete for other grants because we're still competing with philadelphia on the one hand and you know some small town in wyoming on the other which has its own set aside so i i, I know the work you've done on that mr johnson and i would appreciate it if you would continue it and if you would use us as a resource to to make sure 
that the federal delegation understands that that's a real priority for us. Can I respond? Yeah, please. Uh, Council member, thank you. Uh, first of all, I could not agree more on the affordable housing work, and Jim and I will, will circle around and figure out what we could do on that. Uh, with regard to the medium-sized city set-aside, we have to come up with a better name for that. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think the work is critical. What's interesting is that we have, we have historic investments uh, through, these two, through the climate bill and through the bipartisan infrastructure bill. We are seeing more money available to handle these types of challenges that cities face. But so many of these grant programs are being stood up for the first time. And we've only got one round of funding that's out there right now. So we, while we don't have the statutory protection of like a set aside into the definition of these, of these programs, we're also trying to be a little experiential, right? So the work right now is trying to analyze the EV charging grants, the heavy infrastructure, or the heavy vehicle clean fuel grants, you know, and try to figure out like, are they being vacuumed up by, a, by you know, large entities or are they being spread out so far? The Biden administration, to its credit, seems to be spreading it out as a fairly intentional strategy. So the question is, without statutory protection, will that continue uh, in a different administration? I hope so, but I agree with you. More strong guardrails on this, a key priority. Councilmember Anamasi. Hi, thank you both. Uh, great work. Um, good to meet you. So um, I'll reiterate on the affordable housing side of this. So my thought is with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's money specifically for climate-friendly infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So my thought is since a lot of the larger developments are looking at financial problems for the next couple of years, uh, we're looking at middle housing, um, I'm wondering if we can get some IRA grants that are specific to affordable housing to try and make it cheaper for maybe middle housing. So, for example, we're working with Habitat for Humanity. We have a piece of land. It's a middle housing type situation. Could we have grants from the IRA to pay for solar panels, to pay for heat pumps, to pay for the weatherization. And having the IRA grants pay for part of that affordable housing, that's maybe 50 to 60% AMI, kind of the missing middle. Um, people that work in Shoreline should be able to live in Shoreline, which would help with less transportation. So kind of trying to make all of this sound potential for an IRA grant. Because like you said, there's people right now grabbing money from that grant, but I don't see anybody talking about making green built affordable housing and using that grant that's meant for green things with affordable housing. So that's what I'm, I'm wondering, could you look into that? Uh, the second thing is when people look at climate, let's take, for example, um, a salmon stream. We need really integrated climate solutions with our building. Um, when you have non-point source rainwater going on pavement in a hot summer, it gets very hot water then. 
going to a salmon stream and the spawning habitats need cold, clean water. So if we don't have green structure built in there with mature tree canopies, um, less impervious surfaces, what kind of money federally can we get to increase our carbon sequestration side? We're really big on the transportation. That's phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal work that's been done. The whole 148th South, South Link Light Rail. I'm just so excited for that. So just two things. Maybe you could help us get federal money for those. Thank you. Can I come? Great. Council uh, member, thank you very much. Um, I'll take these in sequential order. So the first one, um, yeah, you're, I, I've, I have seen no federal program that is designed to do clean or green affordable housing construction. Um, and I think that's a really interesting policy initiative to start to bring up with the delegation and start to knit some of these different programs together and, and look at maybe even a combined grant application to yes. do these types of things. A lot of the green building money that was in the climate bill is to essentially retrofit buildings and make them cleaner. Mm -hmm. So they are generally government buildings or government uh, purpose buildings that we want to kind of redo the systems within. That's where a lot of the money is being directed right now. And a lot of the housing uh, funds, of which there are substantial amounts, tend to be focused on the developers and the builders of the, of the, of the projects themselves. And that leaves an interesting role for the city, right? Because like, we want to be the convener of all of these opportunities to see more of these projects come to life. And at the same time, we're not the recipient of the tax credit. You know, we're not the, we're not the operator of the, of the building itself. So I think that we, we need to get smarter in terms of like, what is the value that we can do to bring these federal resources that are there in truly historic yes. levels, right? And how do we bring that to the developer community and how do we bring that to the, to the habitat community and like try to figure out, you know, where are the gaps in this and then where are the legislative responses to those gaps? I think that's an absolutely productive conversation to be having. I'd love to work with you on that. Um, on the second one, I, boy, my, my gut reaction is um, uh, twofold. Uh, the first is those values that you espoused in terms of like how do we want to um, create these federal incentives, you know, that really mirror these values that we have. I regret to report that those values are not shared by every other state in the union. And so making these as federal responses tends to be really hard to do. That being said, we do have a member of Congress from Washington State who will be writing the next transportation bill. And I think maybe talking to your peer cities about, you know, are these criteria that we want to see as scoring evaluations for infrastructure grants? You know, this was a major change that was done with the RAISE program, where it was the first time we, we evaluated transportation spending based on the economic impact and the jobs impact of what that spend would do. And it was a fundamental transformation in terms of how we delivered these types of spending. I don't think we do that from a climate standpoint in those same competitive grant programs. Maybe that's a, an avenue to explore. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Ramsdale. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, uh, excellent presentation. Really, really, I really appreciate uh, the, what you submitted uh, on your staff report. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the uh, CDBG and home uh, programs. Um, you know, it's been brought to our attention by our, our, our contracted human services providers that there's going to be a tremendous uh, funding cliff 
uh, as a result of ARPA funding um, ending. And if you could speak to, to, to us a little bit about, like, is there a way to kind of fill that gap of funding that, that, that is so necessary for um, the members of our, of, our, of our vulnerable population here in Shoreline? Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, those two programs are mission critical, right, for communities. And uh, forgive me, I'm doing this from memory, so these numbers don't don't hold me to the public record on these precise numbers. But um, in 2009, we started working together. The value of the the CDBG and the Home Program, right? It before the COVID pandemic had fallen to about 40 percent of that budget height back there. So we were trying to execute the same mission with 40% of the funding. During the COVID years, we used those distribution channels basically to put out the ARPA money um, that, that cities used. And so we see this artificial kind of, you know, graph, right, that shows the value that went back into these programs, but it's unsustainable. This was one-time money, and the question is, do we go back to that 40% or do we go back to some kind of historical norm where these, these programs are so important. Uh, and I don't think we know is, is the short answer. Um, however, the chair of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate is Patty Murray, and she cares about these programs deeply and is one of the fiercest champions for them in the entire Congress. So I would like to think that maybe if we can't make it back to 2009 levels, that we're certainly seeing somewhere north of 40. Uh, I, 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 but yeah, I am highly uh, these issues are on my radar, and we are supporting them to the best of our ability. We know that Shoreline's a direct recipient of these dollars as a, as a, a formula-funded kind of entity, and we know how well you use them. And we also know that the hard cost of administering the program is baked into the equation. So when you fund it at a higher level, your, your actually operational costs don't dramatically increase. So if we get, I'm making up the numbers again, but if we get a million dollars and it costs you know, 250,000 to administer the program, everything above that just adds into your ability to maximize the impact of those dollars. There is, it's hard to imagine a more cost-effective investment you can make in your community than that program, 100%. And just in terms of timing, I mean, we're talking about the 24 priorities here, and we have a divided House and Senate, uh, and not, I think, an anticipation that a whole lot of ice will break from the from the jam here, but I think this is foundational conversation for looking at 25 and beyond. Uh, and and yet today, I mean, we, if we go to DC tomorrow, we should be having these conversations with our champions, with Murray's office, with Representative Jayapal, with, with Representative Larson, because it does set the table for those out here. So uh, this is incredible, this feedback we're getting is, uh, is just fantastic, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Councilmember Republic. Thank you. For some reason, Councilmember Ramsdale took my question out on, on, on <laughs> CDBG. So, thank you. I, I just want to uh, mention that before the meeting around 2:30 p.m. today, I revisited the newsletter from uh, Rep. Japal, and I was impressed. About 20, 23.2 million dedicated to housing, affordable housing, shelter, including the YMCA. All that is pending FY 2024 uh, approval, which is great. So I'm with um, Councilman Scully on uh, affordable housing. I know we talk about it. We take steps towards that. But 
how can we really make it happen? And so we see the steps, but can we do more? I think we surely can. I'm a little disappointed in everything here because I see nothing about arts. It's all about, okay, housing, we love it, it's great. But the, one of the things we're missing when it comes to economic development is arts. You see all the lights up here? It's beautiful because it's artistic. If we were just to have a flat light, it's nothing. But it's been positioned in such a way that it makes the chamber beautiful. And that is what attracts people. I did a quick study. If we cross 145th into the city of Seattle, each individual who lives in Shoreline spends 34 $34.75 if we watch a show in the city of Seattle, attend an event in the city of Seattle, or any other thing which does not happen in the city of Shoreline. So I was just curious, I was like, nothing, arts, meaning nothing economic development when it comes to arts. I rest my case, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Deputy Mayor Mark. Thank you, Mayor. Um, really never thought about Representative Larson's role and the possibilities. Um, there's so many transportation improvements that will really help the climate. And um, if there are things, you know, that the EV stations as a, charging stations as a, for instance, where we're really trying to move from a fossil fuel economy to a electric one. If there are things that, that we can do that will help uh, push that through, I, I'm all ears. I think it's so important that we think about infrastructure, whether it's roads, charging stations, or wastewater lines, that we're all thinking about these things. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, yeah, thank you for the presentation. I think that uh, these legislative priorities look great. Um, I think that the addition of something around affordable housing would be very helpful and I think really important. Um, as Councilmember Scully said in his discussions with the delegation, that that is one thing where we have, are in alignment with our, I mean, great alignment um, with our delegation. And I think everyone knows that housing is the challenge that we face in our region and across the nation. So having something around affordable housing, I think will definitely show to our delegation that we're in alignment and yeah. we care about the, these issues. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, just as a matter of process then, if we can come up with some language that seems acceptable to council, uh, would that uh, mean we could still run through on consent in two weeks? I would think so, yeah. yeah. Great. We will. Uh, but I have another question before you oh. get to all the process questions. My apologies. No, it's okay. Um, one of the things that, and I th I'm sure you're doing this already, but one of the things that we're, we saw in ARPA funding and other funding over the past few years was direct funding directly to cities. Um, not through a grant process, not through a formula process, but money sort of directly given to cities. And across the nation, we've heard that cities did very well with those grants. Uh, with, not with those grants, but with, those, with that direct funding. It, it was something that um, for many cities, especially in states, uh, especially in other states, 
you didn't have the state government sort of taking its cut or other things. I presume that you and some of the work that you're doing is are also advocating for that continuation of the, some of those programs. Is that correct? Not necessarily those programs, but that, that type of funding delivery system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, regrettably, I don't think we're going to see another tranche of funding like that. Uh, but let's hope we don't have need for another national pandemic where something like that is required. Um, I think that my observation, representing seven cities in the state of Washington, is that what was, was so unique about that from my standpoint was that no city used it the same way. And you were able to customize it for the particular bespoke needs of that community. And the flexibility, specifically through the CDBG program and the funding allocations, really allowed you to match the program to very, very specific both human needs and infrastructure needs within a community. And I think that flexibility maybe is the keystone to, to look for. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I hear your words really clearly, Mayor. I, I, I'd love to tell you that there's more coming, uh, but I think the real question is, you know, how do we have more flexibility and less burden, you know, to administer federal grants? One of the challenges with all of these grant opportunities that are there is that cities have a limited capacity to manage the opportunity. There's only so many we can get because you, 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 we simply don't have the ability to manage these complex federal instruments. And then also one of the questions that we're constantly asking is, which project does it make sense to federalize? When do you want to take on the extra burden that comes with federal funds for our project? And there are some where if you can work it out without having to subject yourself to that complexity, it, it actually makes more sense. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting give and take where of course, the federal government has an oversight in, in the money that it spends, et cetera. But at the same time, trusted partners at the local level should be able to have some fungibility and some flexibility with those dollars. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I you, may, you raised a very good point. I mean, I think we are very fortunate here in Shoreline that we have the staff capacity to handle big projects. And right. we've shown that we're capable of handling big projects, right. uh, whether it's Highway 99, whether it's... Uh, We'll see the results at 145th, uh, but I know for some of our smaller cities across the state, I mean, they do not have necessarily have the capacity to uh, deal with some, uh, to use some of these funds. Yeah. And the more flex, as you said, the more flexibility that cities have with these funds makes it easier for smaller cities to get these and to apply for grants and then to use these grants. I think that's such a great point. Looking ahead to the National League of Cities Conference in March, where you're at, in D.C. with other cities similarly inclined from all around the country, it's a great opportunity for each of you to make common cause, to share this conversation and discussions, and find out other communities who are, who are asking some of these same questions and wrestling with some of the same answers. Thank you. Is there any further discussion? Okay, we look forward to seeing the amendment, but assuming that the amendment is acceptable at the council, we'll have it on consent, but of course any council member can pull an item off the consent calendar. Very good, great. Okay, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you, Mayor, thank you, council. And with that, our meeting is adjourned. <laughs>